Welcome to Ufahamu Africa, a podcast about life and politics on the continent. Ufahamu in Kiswahili translates to understanding or consciousness in English. Our podcast will feature content and cover events with the aim of broadening our audience's understanding of the continent. My name is Kim Dion, and I'll be your host. Each week, we'll start the podcast with a brief overview of some of the things we're reading and learning about the continent. Then we'll feature an in-depth conversation with a thinker, maker, or innovator. Every second Saturday, we'll interview an author. In this week's episode, we invite Priscilla Tacondwa-Semperi to the studio to tell us about her book, Akari Leaves Malawi. Our conversation covers storytelling and the importance of Africans telling African stories. On deck for next second Saturday, we'll chat with Melissa Graboyes about her book, The Experiment Must Continue, Medical Research and Ethics in East Africa, 1940-2014. If you want to get a head start on reading Melissa's book, we link to it on our website, ufahamuafrica.com. Before we chat with Priscilla, let's start with what we're reading and learning from the continent this week. I'm joined by Ufahamu Africa's research and production assistant, Sarah Agatoni. Agatoni, what are you reading this week? So the other day I was reading this article by Tom Wyman, a fellow at the University of Essex. The article was on The Guardian. It's titled, So Our Students Have a Point, Philosophy Degree Should Look Beyond White Europeans. You might recall various campaigns last year and two years ago that protested the presence of statues of Cecil Rhodes on campus at UCT, University of Cape Town. So this is in continuation of that conversation that's calling for the decolonization of the syllabus. So students have been calling for diversity of curriculum within the subject of philosophy. What Wyman does is he clarifies that students call for the inclusion of, say, Asian and African schools of thoughts in philosophy departments and for the study of so-called Western philosophy within social and historical contexts. He tries to shift the conversation away from this idea that students who are critical of what they're learning are, I quote, triggered special snowflakes, (laughs) but rather individuals wanting to engage with what they're learning. What have you been reading? This week, Harvard University doctoral fellow Malusi Nkomo has a great piece in Africa as a Country. Uh, His post, entitled The Struggle for Moral Authority in Zimbabwe, is a deep but accessible take on political symbols in contemporary Zimbabwe, and it puts the current wave of popular protests in Zimbabwe in historical perspective. For example, he tells us how the anti-government speech by preacher Evan Mawarire, as portrayed in his April 2016 Facebook video and the subsequent hashtag, This Flag, echoes the important role of religion and spirituality during Zimbabwe liberation struggle. On the topic of religion and politics, there's another great piece this week by Washington Post editor Karen Atia on the role of Catholic bishops in facilitating peace in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Atia draws from decades of academic scholarship and the DRC's historical record to suggest that a public rallying cry from the church may be the best way of pressuring President Joseph Kabila to organize overdue elections and step down. Finally, for Ufahamu Africa listeners who enjoyed our conversation with Kojo Asante last week on issues of election integrity in the recent Ghanaian elections, um, I recommend reading Georgetown University political scientist Ken Apollo's blog post about the upcoming August 2017 elections in Kenya. Among other things, Ken points out in his post that the multinational auditing firm KPMG is supposed to audit the voter register. 
but a court challenge by a coalition of opposition parties has temporarily stopped the audit. Ken suspects the opposition doesn't trust KPMG to do an honest job since even big-name multinational firms have not been above reproach when it comes to politics in Kenya. Find us on our website, ufahamuafrica.com, and our Twitter feed at ufahamuafrica, where every Monday morning we post a link to the pieces we've mentioned here, as well as bonus links to other things we found interesting. This week on Ufahamu Africa, Agatoni and I are transported to Malawi, the warm heart of Africa. We chat with Priscilla Takondo Sempere, author of Akari Leaves Malawi, about her series of children's books and about African storytelling more broadly. Priscilla is a junior, double majoring in the study of women and gender and African studies here at Smith College. Priscilla also blogs at Huffington Post, and you can find a link to her HuffPo profile on our website. Thank you for joining us here at Ufahamu Africa. Thank you for having me. I was hoping that maybe you could give our listeners a, a summary of your book, A Carrie okay. Leaves Malawi, uh, just an overview of what happens in the story. The Akari book series is set to be a 54-55 part children's book series that follows the journey of an eight-year-old girl called Akari as she travels across the African continent. So in each book, she goes to a different African country, experiences the culture through interactions with kids her age, through food, through different experiences and different adventures. Um, and so it's one book per country. And so the first book is called Akari Leaves Malawi. Mm-hmm. And so Akari is Malawian? Yes, she is. Uh, <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah, so Akari is um, from Malawi. And in the first book, she's just kind of thinking about what she's going to miss about her country. Um, and it is through this um, reflection that kids learn about the country. And her mom's a journalist. And so that's how they're traveling across the African country, covering different news stories. Yeah. So you have 54 books in the line, right? Um, slash, 55. Cha- slash 55. <laughs> slash 6. Um, and so that sounds challenging. What's mm-hmm. your plan for the next 55 slash 6 books? So the plan is to have a native of the country do most of the work in terms of authoring the book. Mm -hmm. And so my role would basically be, I guess, like an editor and just trying to make sure that it fits with the bigger vision of the project. Um, But as of now, the next book is supposed to be set in Egypt. I mean, there's only so much you can tell in 32 pages of a children's picture book. Mm -hmm. Um, But And this is why I'm really passionate about getting voices from those places yeah. is that they know what they want to highlight about their country in those 32 pages. And just in the spirit of promoting African voices, um, having them tell their own stories is, is going to be great. And I think it would just be great to see like this whole like list of writers that were part of um, the project. It's mm-hmm. interesting you should bring up um, this idea about African writers mm-hmm. telling African stories, as I'm sure you've uh, watched and commented and, and, and critiqued and thought about um, Chimamanda Adichie's uh, viral TED Talk, mm-hmm. The Danger of a Single Story. Um, in it, uh, Nigerian author Chimamanda Adichie discusses feeling absent from the stories that she avidly consumed as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, is this something that you felt in wanting to write this series or was it was it at least even a partial motivation yeah, 100%. Um, people who've heard me talk about this project, I always talk about this one time I was like 11 years old and my English teacher gave us an assignment to write a, 
a novel, like which is a very big task for a bunch of eleven-year-olds. But um, I think it was like probably fifteen pages or twenty pages, and I wrote this story of these cheerleaders. One was blonde and one was brunette, and they were entering <laughs> a cheerleading competition. And it's so absurd because I grew up in middle-class Malawi, and I had no business writing about blonde and brunette <laughs> cheerleaders. This is the power of stories, like kids take things in internalize them and i mean if i read stories about blonde and brunette cheerleaders i feel like those are the only stories that i can tell and so yeah definitely that talk hit home for me and i think this is the experience for a lot of people who don't get access to books that reflect their reality mm-hmm. yeah do you remember the first time you watched that ted talk yes i do i was at the african leadership academy in south africa it was probably like my third week there um and i can't quite remember what the context was but i do remember that we were in the auditorium and um so the african leadership academy gets students from all over the african continent and i guess it was part of our orientation or something and we were that's amazing yeah we were just talking about how um we're all from the african continent and they usually band us together uh and yet we're so different and like there's this usually just like one narrative of what life in Africa is like and yet here we were representing 30 something African countries mm-hmm. with so many different stories that were so so similar in 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 a lot of ways and i think if i remember correctly that was the kind of context we came in um and so i just remember watching that and just being so like wow this is real and this is how i feel um yeah and I, that actually my experience at ALA was a huge part of the inspiration for this project because i just like started interacting with people from places that were very far from my mind like i never used to think about benin or like senegal growing up in middle class malawi um and yet like now i had friends from there and like i was just like whoa like this is so cool and like these people are so cool and like there are so many stories that i didn't have access to and like why isn't this out there um yeah So that is the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder also um why Egypt for the second book. Going to Ailey was kind of the first time that my mind opened up to the rest of the African continent. I mean, beyond just the small stereotypes that I knew. And Ailey was kind of like a utopia in the sense that like sub-Saharan Africa and North Africa were just yeah. Africa. Mm-hmm. And in my mind in selecting a- Egypt it was kind of like pushing back against that divide that exists and like Egypt is part of the African continent and there are, there are aspects of our cultures that are very similar I'm not sure if I would make the same decision now and that's not to say I believe any differently the fun pa- part about this project is that like we it can go anywhere She could be on her way to Egypt and take a detour in in Kenya, who knows. Um it all depends on which writers I can connect with in time. Whatever falls into place well first is where we're going to go. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about flights out of Lilongwe to Egypt and, and it's like there's not a direct <laughs> flight but so no. it could be Nairobi, it could be uh, Johannesburg, it could be Addis, Addis Ababa. Yeah. yeah. Addis has been holding down Africa. Eh? Uh, yeah, thank you. Ethiopian <laughs> Airlines. So many countries. I think yes. even Kigali has like I think we're getting new stops now just oh, going really? directly to Kigali, but it's usually Kigali Addis or even Kigali and Tebe Addis. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
I can never get a flight home directly just like from here. And I'm either going to Johannesburg or going to Addis Ababa. Yeah. Usually it's Johannesburg because that's much closer. But mm-hmm. thank you to Addis for holding yeah. it down. <laughs> we have this whole movement of Africa is not a country. There is 54, 55, 56 yeah. countries. But at the same time, there is movement across the borders. Cultures tend to overlap. You have people from the continent telling the world Africa is not a country, but there's so many similarities. And you bring up the rift and what is similar in relation to the book, but have mm-hmm. you felt this in terms of that distinction between saying Africa is not a country and wanting to portray that, but at the same time um, calling for... A shared identity. Yes, a shared identity. Yes. I That tension is so real. That whole idea of Africa is not a country is trying to push back on a lot of like stereotypes that people have. And then there's also the fact that a lot of like our grandparents or great-grandparents existed in spaces that weren't called what they're called today and so like the idea of these countries even is very, very a fairly new one like you said a lot of our cultures are similar in a lot of ways the issue for me is the fact that we are similar and we are different and that is not really something that we have captured in this kind of a medium. I think it also is a matter of audience. Like Depending on what child has this book, it's either going to tell her or him that Africa is not a country or Africa is one. Killing two birds with one stone, I guess. So one question that we have, it might be a bit complicated. So bear with us. (laughs) You and I have kind of talked about this before too. Representation is not just about whether certain groups are represented, but also by whom. And I wonder what your take is on the call for African stories to be told by Africans themselves. I think that is on point. There's also like a very long history of people just misrepresenting the continent. Africa is very diverse. And even by saying by African themselves sounds very vague to me because as a Malawian person, I feel a level of discomfort telling a Kenyan story or telling a Namibian story. As much as I'm an African person, Namibia has not been my Africa. Even within Namibia, you find that people's experiences of Namibia have been very different in whatever shape or form Africans choose to pick up the mantle. We need to be aware of the nuance that exists on the African continent. And I think people are like doing this, actually. And there's also the question of access. It's like (laughs) we need people to be telling these stories, but we also need people to be building the infrastructure and making it possible for those stories to get to the kids that need to read them. This whole idea of telling African stories is not just in the writing of the stories, but it's in all the work that has to do with pushing those stories. So this book has been published and printed here in the U.S. and folks in Western Mass can certainly buy a copy. (laughs) I wonder if you have plans for it to be published and printed in Malawi for Malawian children to be able to get their hands on copies. Definitely. That's actually my priority. It just so happens that I'm here. But actually the first version of this book um, that we did Uh, the year before I came to Smith was printed in Mauritius. So some people at home had access to these books, but um, I'm definitely very, very passionate about getting them into kids' hands at home. Mm -hmm. And so it would be great to have it translated. People speak so many different languages. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we're talking about access, we're going to have to do the work to make it accessible to people. All right. So we've talked about African uh, writers telling African stories. What of the 
other idea of African writers looking onto the world, say, having a Carrie go to Scotland and looking at Scotland through a Carrie, a Malawian child's eyes. Actually, yes. That um, when when we piloted this project, I remember running into this lady from the Caribbean, and she was like. A Carrie should come and spend New Year's in Jamaica or something like that. I was like, that's so cool. I'm particularly passionate about like a Carrie's interactions with the African diaspora and like wherever they are. I'm, however, ambivalent about this. I have to admit, I'm very conscious of whose gaze this is trying to serve. Who is this project meant to speak to the most? Mm. And this project is for African children and Black children primarily. And then everything else I see as a good byproduct. So, I mean, definitely the possibilities are endless. And I do know that this is a kind of project that is going to hopefully inspire other people to, to tell more stories. I know that stories breed stories. And so I see this as a project that's going to help kids that identify with that carry to be like, hey, I want to write my stories too. So speaking of literature, um, what are some of the books you've read or reading or want to read? So my favorite book, I think, is The God of Small Things. Me too. Really? Oh my gosh. Yes. That book. Life-changing. It was such a powerful book for me because I related so deeply with it. One of my other favorite books is by um, The Violet Bulawayo, Um, We Need New Names. It's a book I'm very ambivalent about. I love it because it's just got such a unique voice. I love it when I pick up a book and I'm just like, this book has its own personality. Recently, I read um, The Reluctant Fundamentalist. I I just finished reading a C.S. Lewis book. I want to read Toni Morrison. I've actually never read anything by her. I'm sure some of our listeners would want to purchase a copy of the book. Yeah. Is it is it available online yet for them to do that? If they go to the website, acarrybooks.org, they can put in their information and be notified when it is available online. Great. Yeah. We'll make sure to share that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Priscilla, oh, thank for you joining for us. Me. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. That's all for this week. Share your thoughts and tell us what you're reading and learning about the continent at ufahamuafrica.com. You can also find us on Twitter at ufahamuafrica. Ufahamu Africa is a production of Smith College, sponsored by the Committee on Faculty Compensation and Development. Sarah Agatoni, Smith College Class of 2017, is Ufahamu Africa's research and production assistant. Technical assistance is provided by the Center for Media Production at Smith College. Music is courtesy of Kevin McLeod. On a cas de respecter dans pays là. We leave you this week with the song "Si Tu Parla" by Sam's K. Leja. You can find a link to his performance on our website, ufahamuafrica.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, Safiri Salama. Ah, si tu parles, tu ne parles pas. Qu'est-ce qu'on fait? On parle. Si tu parles, tu ne parles pas. Qu'est-ce qu'on fait? On parle. Même si la vie vaut la peine d'être vécue, il y a des causes pour lesquelles mieux vaut mourir. Allez, viens goûter aux fruits de la liberté. Tu comprendras pourquoi toujours lutter. Comme Sankara Lumumba Che Guevara. Allez, m'en donne un sens à ta vie. Au lieu de blâmer l'obscurité, allume ta bougie. 
Avec sans péril, en triomphe sans gloire. Si tu parles, tu ne parles pas. Qu'est-ce qu'on fait On parle. Si tu parles, tu ne parles pas. Qu'est-ce qu'on fait On parle. Allez camarades, ce soir c'est décidé. Demain, je rejoins les indignés. C'est quoi cette histoire de se résigner Ne sais-tu pas que mille fourmis réunies font fuir l'éléphant Alors, si tu luttes, tu ne luttes pas. Qu'est-ce qu'on fait On lutte. Si tu luttes, tu ne luttes pas. Qu'est-ce qu'on fait On lutte. Allez camarades, ce soir c'est décidé. Demain, je rejoins les indignés. C'est quoi cette histoire de se résigner Ne sais-tu pas que mille fourmis réunies font fuir l'éléphant Alors, si tu parles, tu ne parles pas. Qu'est-ce qu'on fait On parle. Faux sangomé, sans pagomia. Faux sangomé. Zampa Gomia, Tidmana Wana, Ni Kumana, Ni Makuma, Amakedi, Wama Fokia, Ni Kumana, Ni Makuma, Amakedi, Wama Fokia, Wala, Amafo.